Future Generation acknowledges the traditional owners of the country throughout Australia and recognises their continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respects to Elders past and present. As the economy picks up again, after we come out of what might be a mild recession, those small cap companies will outperform the larger companies. Hello and welcome to Take Stock, a new podcast by Future Generation. I'm Caroline Gurney, the Chief Executive of Future Generation, and today I'm speaking to John Coombe. John is the Executive Director of Jana Investment Advisors. He advises some of the Australia's biggest super funds, and he is an expert in the field. John's on the investment committee for both Future Generation Australia and Future Generation Global. And we think he is the best person to update you on what's happening, both in the portfolios and in the markets in which we operate. John, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Caroline. I first it's me. Excellent. I'm so glad that I'm so glad we could make that happen. So, John, to kick off, at Future Generation Australia, we're weighted pretty heavily towards small to mid-cap companies. Because you're on the investment committee, I really want you to explain how that weighting occurred and then give us an idea of the rough split between small and large caps in our portfolio, please. So let me start with the second part first. We're about 25% overweight small caps and about the same underweight to large caps. The reason why it came about is because we tend to hire a lot of boutique managers and a lot of the boutique managers have identified, rightly so I might add, that the small cap area of the market is where you get the biggest bang for your dollar in terms of return over the medium to longer term. Now, it's logical when you think about it. If you're a startup company, you start down the bottom of the index and as you grow your market share, as you grow your earnings, as you build out your company profile and you might go global or you might stay domestic, um, you'll generally get bigger earnings, become a bigger part of the index. JB Hi-Fi was a classic of that member. It started off as a small little boutique out of Melbourne and has grown into a national brand. And managers who bought it at the start and held it all and probably still sold it today have made a fortune out of that stock as it's grown and grown out its business over time. So you can understand why managers who want to generate a lot of alpha um, tend to be overweight mid-caps, small caps. The irony is that statistically um, you don't really see a small cap affecting Australia, but we know from the alpha generated by the managers that there's a definite effect of managers being able to generate alpha from that part of the market. Maybe we could actually look at small cap companies because they have underperformed in the last couple of years. We're aware of that. Can you give us some context as to why that's happened in Australia, firstly? Yeah, because typically in a risk-off environment, small caps tend to underperform, A, because they're more sensitive. So they tend to be um, linked to the economy more. And so they take the pain of any slowdown in an economy much worse than, say, a, a large cap, which has a much broader base. And to be blunt, in Australia, we've benefited a lot in the last two years from the mining stocks. You've seen the big BHPs, Fortescue, et cetera, the 
um, et cetera, do really, really well because the prices being paid for those commodities has stayed a lot higher than most people thought they would, partly due to China, et cetera. But it's really been a very interesting market from that perspective. With the Investment Committee, did you consciously change the investment portfolio to a to remove or reduce the small cap bias at all? No, we didn't because over the medium and longer term, when you look at our five-year numbers, our 10-year numbers, et cetera, it's been the really positive part of the portfolio in adding value over time. So we genuinely believe in that small cap alpha impact that managers who are, you know, tuned to the company management and where they're going to set that portfolio and set their aspirations over the next five years, we want to be in that sweet spot. So we didn't, and and to be blunt, Caroline, we would have had to have taken some of our very best managers and taken money away from them, and we might not have been able to get it back in, given that they're constrained about how much money they they might take in, in their strategies. Personally, I'm very comfortable where we sit today looking on a five-year view because as the economy picks up again after we come out of a what might be a mild recession, as the economy picks up the other end, those small-cap companies will outperform the larger companies. Maybe if you could expand a little bit more on your outlook for the sector of the market. When you look at on a um, price-to-earnings, um, the small-caps are cheap. Right, relative to the large caps, you know, they're trading on around 10 times and the large caps, you know, um, are sort of up in the 18 times. So from that perspective, do you want to pay $10 for a dollar of earnings or do you want to pay $18 for a dollar of earnings? Well, I'd pay $10 because over time, if they grow those earnings faster than the rest of the market, you've bought into a really cheap company. Now, they haven't been this cheap for quite some time. So you've got to go back into the GFC to see where small caps were as cheap as they are today. Now, admittedly, in the um, in the GFC, large caps got cheap as well. So you had a choice. But really today, small caps stand out. So I think that's quite a good you know, chance for us to actually turn to future generation global. So FGG has also got a bias towards small to mid cap companies but it's nowhere near as marked as what we have in the Future Generation Australia portfolio. What, what's the rough split there? Uh, about 16%, but the biggest underweight um, is to the really mega stocks. And so that's your apples, the meta. Alphabet, et cetera. Alphabet, yeah. all of those lovely names. So maybe let's go into what's been happening globally in the small cap market. Well. The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> the Magnificent Seven have done a, um, an amazing job. In reality, the, the top 10 holdings in the world now account for 20% of the market cap. Like that, the concentration level, we haven't seen a concentration level like this for decades. Um, I think you have to go back to the uh, 2000 tech boom. Those companies have really re-rated in the six months, not one year, in the six months between the 30th of December to the 30th of June, those seven stocks, and we're talking about Alphabet, NVIDIA, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, Amazon, and Tesla, are up 90%. The multiple has expanded $147, right? So 
you haven't got any extra earnings. They're actually just re-rated. The market's just fallen in love with them. The worst one is NVIDIA, right? It, it was trading on 62 times per year. It is now trading on 220 times per year. That's a multiple movement of 254%. Right? So if that's not speculative, I don't know what is. Its total return is nearly 200%. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? And this is, you know, because they brought out chat GPT. And the market has gone mad over it. Now, the real test for that company is to commercialise that and to actually raise all of that revenue that the market thinks it's going to do, right? So that's a huge, future rating. But even a, even a stock like Microsoft, which people love, wonderful stock, it's up 43%, but it's all multiple. The model has gone from 26 to 37 times, right? So it's really about the market's just saying technology looks to be the new area that we all want to focus on. It's the thing that's going to give us productivity gains. And really, no one knows how AI is going to impact even what we do, Caroline, in terms of analysing, writing reports, etc. There's so much talk about how it's going to change what we do in our everyday life. So... It's a, it'll be an amazing journey, and I have no doubt that some of these stocks will be massive big winners. Like, if you go back to 2000 when Amazon was just a bookseller, and today it's this massive retailer um, and has changed its business mix, you know, two or three times. It's now a big provider of, you know, data center and data storage. So, Businesses that have free cash flow can change the nature of the businesses will. And so we're not saying these stocks are going to be losers, but over time, they generally have a pullback. And we saw that last year when a lot of these big mega stocks were down 30 or 40%, right? So it, 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 the market's a fickle baby. It, it does have its favorites at time. And at the moment, it's technology. And it's anything that has the word AI in it. So it's it's really reminiscent, isn't it, of sort of the fan group. Um, yeah, it is. So, you know, that was like a tearaway leadership group as well. You know, is that transient or long-lasting? What, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? If the earnings come through, it's long-lasting because the market always rewards earnings growth. So as, if you look at Apple... It has been able to grow its earnings and continues to be able to grow its earnings. Now, when it doesn't meet market expectations like it sometimes doesn't, then the market punishes, right? Because when you've got a high expectation of earnings growth, if you don't live up to the the market's expectations, you get punished. And and we've seen Microsoft, you know, at different times being unloved by the market because in the old days, it didn't have a recurring income stream. Now it's all online. You do all your backups. It, it, it does data storage. It does all of those things for you. So businesses have to adapt to the market environment to stay in front of it. And look, every one of these businesses is talking about how AI is going to be a positive for their business. In Microsoft, Apple's case, it's data storage. Amazon, data storage. So you can understand why the market's looking the way they do at the moment. But the real test is earnings out over a five-year period. Can they grow the earnings 
to the market expectation. So let's let's look at small caps globally because obviously that that's where you know we are placed, and that hasn't been very good. But are you seeing signs there of a resurgence? Yeah. So and look, hate talking really really short term, but I get a weekly um, chart service that comes from a guy who looks at a whole lot of charts in the United States and looks at different trends. And one of the trends that has become apparent over the last two weeks is basically the market is broadening out. This came home to me the other day when one of my research guys basically put it in this context. In the last six months, the movement in those seven stocks is the equivalent of three high-yield bond markets. That's how much their market value has gone up. It feels a bit like a bubble. It probably is a bit of a bubble. And maybe it is just that the market rotates down into other stocks or they disappoint on earnings and they get rotated out of. But generally, stocks do come back off these mega highs. As I said, you're on the Investment Committee for Future Generation Global. And last year, we brought in five new pro bono fund managers. And we're seeing some benefits, you know, flow in from those. What, what was the thinking behind making those changes? We just wanted a broader um, set of managers. We had a couple of managers who um, were very keen to be a part of the whole process. When we looked into them, they fitted into things we were missing in the portfolio. We wanted a bit more breadth, so we put in a couple of quad managers. There were a couple of Australian quad managers who were going into global. They really wanted um, to be a part of um, uh, FGG. Um, that was fantastic, you know, and, and so that gave us a bit more stability in the portfolio in terms of broad market coverage, um, and it also took some of the stock-specific risks that we had in the portfolio, which we were a bit uncomfortable with. Despite the the improvements in performance, you know, we're still seeing that FGX and FGG are trading at a hefty discount, and I know you're a shareholder in both of these companies. So how are you feeling about these two stocks? Oh, I just bought more, right? Um, I got a dividend check out um, part of my super fund and I basically bought um, two stocks. I just thought they were trading at crazy discounts um, and so I just bought more. I think like anything that trades under a 10% discount, you've got to look at it and say, well, even if they just get back to market over the next 12 months, that's a 10% improvement on the over the market return that I'm going to get just from that narrowing of the discount. So I've got my fingers crossed that, it, you know, the, the discount gets narrowed. And as I've always said, like if you're a stockholder and it's trading under a 10% discount, you should be thinking about putting the marginal dollar in because that's the only way you, you get that discount down. And is there anything else that I should be asking you that you think about all the time? I think we think about have we got the right mix in the portfolio a lot? So as you know, we've just spent a bit of time with both of the investment committees looking at our charter, looking at our policies, and just thinking about the structure that we have in the portfolios. And I think we're very conscious about delivering on the promise to shareholders, which is to give the market return or better, protect a little bit in down markets. And we're very conscious that when we're looking at the portfolio, the manager's structure, are we delivering on those promises? Thank you. Thank you very much, John. 
for your invaluable insights, but also the work that you do pro bono on both of the investment committees. Thank you very much for joining us, John. Pleasure.